Good morning, this is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I want to talk to you today about baptism. It's wonderful that in English another term for baptism is christening, literally christening, turning someone into Christ. Last week I talked about the church as the body of Christ. We're members of his body. So baptism is not just the joining of a club. Baptism is not just joining a new organization, but rather it's being christened, being drawn into the very being and life of Christ. Now, how has his life and ministry been described? Three terms have classically been used. Christ is priest, prophet, and king. Why is he a priest? Well, priest is a sanctifier. Much of Jesus' life and work is to sanctify us, to make us holy. Christ is also a king. That means he leads us somewhere. He leads us to the Father. He guides us. And Christ is a prophet. That means he's a speaker of God's truth. Now, Christians, fellow baptized, fellow christened people, we have been drawn into this same life and this same ministry. We share in the threefold office of Christ, priest, prophet, and king. I want to talk today specifically about the prophetic office that we have as baptized people, speakers of the truth. Let's look first at a text from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. The account of Jeremiah's call, his vocation. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I dedicated you. A prophet to the nations, I appointed you. There is good news for us prophets. None of us is here by accident. All of us are here because God has a plan and we have a role to play in that divine plan before he formed any of us in the womb he knew us and appointed us as prophets as speakers of his truth listen now again a prophet to the nations I appointed you whom do we speak to we Christians we speak to the nations up and down the pages of scripture from beginning to end we have a very strong polemic against the nations the way we human beings have tended to organize our lives socially politically economically whom do the prophets speak to that means all of us baptized we speak to these nations and we speak a word of God's truth to them because they are predicated upon falsity now Will this make us popular? Au contraire, judging from these readings. 
Listen again as the Lord continues to speak to Jeremiah. Gird your loins. Stand up and tell them all that I command you. Be not crushed on their account, as though I would leave you crushed before them. For it is I this day who have made you a fortified city, a pillar of iron, a wall of brass against the whole land. The strong implication here is when we speak God's truth to the nations, we will not be popular. We won't be praised. They won't speak highly of us. Just the contrary. We will arouse the suspicion and then the opposition of the nations. But what's the good news? We have God who has commissioned us on our side. I will not leave you crushed on my account. Rather, I have made you a fortified city, a pillar of iron, a wall of brass. We have the confidence, fellow baptized, that as we speak God's prophetic word, we have God's strength behind us. Now, listen from the Gospel of Luke. When Jesus first stands up before his people and speaks as a prophet, remember he comes to his hometown of Nazareth, and he stands up in the synagogue and he reads the scripture, and then he preaches on it. Today, this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. What's the first reaction? Well, his fellow townspeople are impressed. Local boy made good, standing up now with great confidence, proclaiming God's word. At first, they are pleased with him. Luke says, all spoke highly of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. Well, sometimes it goes that way with prophets. People are intrigued, captivated, someone speaking God's word. But Jesus goes on. And he specifies exactly what he intends to do. And he makes clearer to them what God's word of truth will entail. Now listen to their reaction. Again from Luke. When the people in the synagogue heard this, they were filled with fury. They rose up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town had been built to hurl him down headlong. But Jesus passed through the midst of them and went away. Prophets, as with Jeremiah, so with Jesus. When we speak God's word of truth to the nations, they will rise up in opposition. Even in a murderous opposition, his own townspeople want to put him to death. Here's something, too, which is very interesting about Luke's gospel. Some of you listening to me might have been to the Holy Land. If you were and you visited Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, you know that it's not built on a cliff. But here we have this account. They lead him to the brow of the hill on which their town had been built. Luke is a great literary master. There is a town in the Holy Land built on a hill. It's Jerusalem built on Mount Zion. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, a crowd that at one moment found him fascinating will turn on him. They will lead him out of that hill town, and they will put him to death. In other words, what Luke is doing here is saying, at his first prophetic utterance, 
Jesus is beginning his walk to the cross. When we speak God's truth, what we can expect from the nations is not adulation, but rejection. Now, Christians, what is this dangerous word that we speak? What is this word that riles up the nations, even to the point of wanting to put us to death? What is this word? Now look at St. Paul. In what I think is one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture, Old Testament or New, it's that magnificent hymn to love that you find in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Let me read a little bit of this to you. If I speak in human and angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and comprehend all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own, if I hand over my body to be burned, but do not have love, I gain nothing. What's Paul saying here? Love is the heart. It's the essence. It's the core of Christian life. It's what we preach when we speak as Christians. It's what we live when we live as Christians. We could have all the gifts. We could have all of the honors, all the accomplishments of the world. But if we don't have this, we have nothing. This is the prophetic message. Now listen as he continues to describe what love is like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous, not pompous. It is not inflated. It is not rude. It does not seek its own interests. Let me pause here. Love in the Bible is not an emotion. It's not a passion. It's not a romantic feeling. We use the word in all those senses. Love in the scripture means something very definite and very hard. It means willing the good of another. When I'm a person of love, I say, my ego and my interests are not the center of my life, but another is. I'm now focused outside of myself on another. That's love. And now we can see why this message of love is so dangerous and is so countercultural. Listen again. Love does not seek its own interest. Our culture is largely predicated upon seeking our own interest. Getting to the best school, getting the best job, having the greatest societal status, that everyone thinks well of me, they can see all of my accomplishments. Most of our days are spent serving our own self-interest. We praise those in our society who have indulged their self-interest the most. The person of love says, I don't live that way. Look at Christ crucified. Is that someone who is a hero in the eyes of our society? No, he'd be a failure in the eyes of our society. Where's his focus? Not on his self-interest but precisely on the interest of the other. Jesus gives his life away. That's the word that we preach. How about this too from Paul? 
Love does not brood over injury. Christians, we would revolutionize the world overnight if we embodied that part of the message. I just finished an article in the New Yorker magazine about the Middle East. It's a very long article, interesting article. The author interviewed people from all across the spectrum, left to right, Israeli, Palestinian, everybody. And what he found was this. There's not one political leader in the Middle East right now who is willing to let go of past injuries. Every one of them is very good at rehearsing past injuries, brooding over injustices. Now, am I picking on the Israelis and Palestinians? No. We could say it about the Irish, about the Rwandans, about Indonesians, all over the world. What we have are people who can't let go of past injuries. Paul says the person of love says, my injury and the injustice that I experienced, that's not the center of my life. I'm willing to let go of it precisely out of love for the other. How much of our social and political lives are based upon this principle of brooding over past injuries? How we would revolutionize the world if we embodied Paul's message. How about this a little later in the passage? Love never fails. That's wonderful. Love never fails. All of our projects in life will ultimately fail, all of them. All of our accomplishments will be swallowed up. But what's the one great thing we take into eternity with us? Well, not our degrees, not our accomplishments, not our jobs, not our social status. What we will take into eternity with us is the quality of our love. Our capacity to let go of ourselves in generosity, that's what makes us like unto God. So therefore, that quality never fails. It's brought into God's life. Christians, this is the message we preach. This is the prophetic word that we utter. This is the word on fire, is this word of love. Will it stir up the nations? Yes. Good, good, it ought to. But do we have God on our side when we speak it? Yes. And that's the good news. Don't be afraid to be a prophet. Don't be afraid to stir up a little trouble. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you.